Welcome to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, where we talk about issues facing our Big Island community. Island Conversations, Sunday mornings on KWXX at 6.30 and on B97B93 at 7 a.m. Or listen anytime at kwxx.com. Island Conversations, brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916. Now, here's your host and producer, Sherry Bracken. Aloha. Good morning. Welcome to Island Conversations. Sundays, we're on the radio on the Big Island of Hawaii on KWXX and B93, B97, and we're on KPUA the following Friday. You may listen to the podcast of Island Conversations online at kwxx.com or wherever you get podcasts. Hawaii has two senators and two representatives in the United States Congress. The representative for downtown Honolulu is Ed Case. Tulsi Gabbard currently serves as the U.S. representative for rural Oahu and all the neighbor islands. In January 2019, Representative Gabbard declared her intention to run for United States president while still keeping her job representing Hawaii in Congress. That same month, Big Island State Senator Kai Kaheli announced his run for the seat currently held by Representative Gabbard. Representative Gabbard recently announced she is not going to run again for Congress. State Senator Kai Kaheli is our guest today. State Senator Kai Kaheli representing Hilo in the State Senate. Aloha. Aloha. Thank you for having me. I am so glad you're here, and I want to let everybody know that Senator Kai Kaheli followed his late father, Gil Kaheli, in serving as state senator from Hawaii Island, first appointed by Governor Ige, and then elected and re-elected in 2016 and 2018. Senator Kaheli is the majority floor leader of the Hawaii State Senate and chairman of the Senate Committee on Water and Land, and a member of the Committees on Hawaiian Affairs, Higher Education, and Ways and Means. Senator Kai Kaheli graduated from Hilo High and UH Manoa with a bachelor's in education. He's an 18-year veteran. He served in Iraq. He has lots of medals, and he is a lieutenant colonel with the 201st Air Operations Group. Senator Kaheli is also a pilot with Hawaiian Airlines. He and his wife, Maria, have two children, and he also has another daughter from a previous marriage. Senator Kaheli, you announced more than a year ago that you were going to run for United States Congress. Tell us why. As I had an opportunity to serve as the higher education chair for a few years in the Senate and as the waterland chair in the Senate, I would go throughout the neighbor islands and have community town halls on important issues and subjects that matter to people, especially those on the neighbor islands, whether it was reducing the cost of higher education, lowering student debt, addressing water rights. In those conversations where I got a chance to meet a lot of people from a lot of broad diverse backgrounds that represent the 2nd Congressional District, I constantly kept hearing that people felt the 2nd Congressional District in Washington, D.C. was being underrepresented, that they were losing their voice in Washington, that they hadn't seen their representative back home on their island for quite some time, that they just felt that there was a disconnect between their member of Congress and the real life challenges that they were facing in their communities, mostly rural communities. And so, you know, after the 2018 election and uh, the incumbent started to make mention of a possible run for the presidency, I decided that if she did intend to do that, that I was going to run to represent Hawaiian Congress to replace her. At that time, I had no idea what the future held in store for her and potentially would be looking at a vacant U.S. House seat at some point in the near future. And I knew if that was the case, someone who had 
been new to Hawaii politics, had only served less than four years in the state Senate, not the type of broad statewide name recognition that you need to run a statewide race, I would need to get started early. And so we did. And so we launched our campaign last year on Martin Luther King Day 2019, just opened our headquarters in Hilo a year later, and it's been a journey. In essence, that's why I decided to run. I felt people needed choices in 2020. I felt that the second congressional district and their voters needed a choice, and I was going to make myself available to them. Well, you know, mostly we in the neighbor islands have been represented by people who live on Oahu. Right. So that would be a big change. What do you think the key issues are that you might address if you are elected to United States Congress? Well, first, that's a good point you make, because not too many people know and realize that the second congressional district has never been represented from someone who lives, currently is residing, or is serving in an elected capacity on the neighbor islands. It would be the first time since Hawaii became a state, the first time in the Hawaiian Islands since statehood, that we will have a neighbor island resident walk the halls of the United States Congress. And that's important. I think it's important for our four-member delegation that you have a neighbor island perspective, one of the four, because the challenges that we have, like you just talked about and mentioned, are very important, whether it's education, rural health care, veterans care. There's so many issues that are different on the neighbor islands than exist on Oahu. I think that's really important for people on the neighbor islands to realize. It's always interesting when you talk, even with our state legislators from Oahu, many times they have absolutely no clue what certainly this island is like, how big it is, and some of the challenges. And, you know, one of the challenges that I know that you're well aware of is as a state senator, and you will be a state senator through this coming legislative session, is the issue of water. Farmers and ranchers need water. You are chair of the Committee on Water and Land. Mm -hmm. And I know in the last year there's been a lot of discussion about that because I think it's DLNR gives water leases and there's been an issue? There has. Last year was a major issue of water rights at the Hawaii State Legislature and I found myself in ground zero right in the middle of it. It's a difficult committee to chair. Water and land, you can go back you know, to the creation of the Hawaiian Islands has always been, uh, as soon as humans made contact with the Hawaiian Islands, water and land has always been an issue and it still is an issue today. And so finding that balance between promoting agriculture, farming, ranching, and the vital lifeline that they need to do those things is water, right? And so how do we find that balance as a state? And that was an issue we had last year and a very heated issue at, at times. Well, what are you going to do in this legislative session to help the farmers and ranchers on this island? Because I understand that it's not yet resolved whether the DLNR leases will be extended or not. So what are you going to do? So after the legislative session, we failed to pass legislation to allow DLNR to continue to issue year-over-year revocable permits, which they had been doing for over 15 years. Revocable permits were never meant to be in perpetuity. And so kicking the can down the road was not the solution. And that's a position that I had taken. After session, the Intermediate Court of Appeals reversed the lower court's decision and gave the DLNR the power to issue a revocable permit. And so this past fall, all of those permittee holders, whether they were hydroelectric plants or um, farmers or ranchers that had revocable permit water leases, were able to have their permits reissued this past fall. That doesn't mean that they're not going to face the issue again next fall. You know, I've been very clear with DLNR that status quo is unacceptable. Kicking the can down the road for 15 years is unacceptable. That these farmers and ranchers need 
long-term certainty over the water that they're going to get. And as long as it's reasonable and it's beneficial and it meets the public trust doctrine that our water rights and the water code is very much embedded in, then I don't have any problem providing that source of water. The challenge has been changing our mindset from a plantation-based culture and economy that largely existed and was developed over 100 years ago where you know millions and millions of gallons of water have been diverted through intricate tunnels and systems that were developed on, on just about every diff, every island has has these systems that were developed to divert water to the drier side of the island from the wet side of the island to feed agriculture and so the state has never addressed that it's never issued a long-term water lease in its history and so that was a challenge that I gave to the deal in our chair when we confirmed it last year was I want you to be the first deal in our chair to issue a long-term water lease under your tenure as deal in our chair and she's got three years to go so we'll see well yeah because it's a huge challenge farmers and ranchers can hardly make long-term plans if they don't know where their mm-hmm. water is coming from that's correct the same issue is true for those businesses that have leases on Banyan Drive and in the Kanoi Lehua industrial area. And this is something I know you've been advocating, yep. getting them to issue long, long, long leases so property owners can make improvements. Where so does that stand? The state of Hawaii cannot issue a lease beyond 55 years, and they can extend it for 10 years to 65 years. Leasing public lands, lands that belong to the public trust, we're never meant to lease to one single person for 200 years, right? The idea was we lease you a long-term lease, 65 years, then that goes up for a public auction. You give the rest of the public a chance to bid on that piece of property, and then you issue a new long-term lease. We've struggled to address that since the 1960 tsunami, and leases were issued in the Waikia and Akiai area. All came up at their 55-year point around 2015. They all got 10-year extensions to about 2025, 2026. Yeah, but then they can't really do improvements knowing that they're expiring. Exactly. So what we did two years ago was something that the Senate and the legislature hadn't been able to do for over 15 years, which is pass a law that would allow current lessees, if they were willing to invest up to 30% in their properties based on the appraised value and to submit a development agreement, that we would then issue them a 30-year lease extension, which is what is law today. You know, we got Governor Ige come in and we signed that law right in front of HPM. And anyone who is in the Hilo Economic District, except Banyan Drive, is eligible for a 30-year lease extension if they have a development agreement. That only counts for lands that are managed by DLNR, not DHHL. And there is a hodgepodge of DHHL and DLNR lands in the Kanoilehua Waikia area. As an example, Prince Cohio Plaza, Ross, Walmart, Iona car sales, all on DHHL land. You can have a DHHL parcel sitting right next to a DLNR parcel. And there are different issues, though, with the DHHL properties. What about the Banyan Drive properties? The hotels are on Banyan Drive, and that's always been an issue. That's something that we've tried to address for a long time. Now, Hilo Hawaiian has a long-term lease. Nani Loa has a long-term lease. What doesn't have long-term leases and are on revocable permits are the associated condominiums that are right next door. Country Club, Bayshore Towers, and I think it's the Hilo Bay Hotel. Mr. Donnie Noy is the owner of that. So those three locations, and of course Uncle Billy's, which is owned by Peter Savio, which has since been condemned and closed down, that is an issue we're trying to figure out. You know, DLNR did a site study back in 2014 to look at those specific properties and to assess what is the usable life of those properties and what should happen there. 
they haven't quite decided what to do. And as of right now, Bechotars has a long-term lease that expires around 2030, 2033. But the other two are on revocable permits year over year. So that's tough because for an owner like Mr. Inouye, who wants to invest in his property, he can't do it. And he can't get the financing for it if he's on a revocable permit. And then the properties really look junky. Oh, they totally do. Sadly. So, I mean, my concept and vision is nothing new. You know, I looked at the plan that Mayor Billy Kinoy had come up with when he created the Bandage Drive Redevelopment Agency. My dad was a big part of that. They did conceptual designs of what a redeveloped Bandage Drive would look like. So before we issue leases to properties, I think what we need to do as a community is figure out what we want Bandage Drive to look like. Do we need a nine-hole golf course at Banyan Drive, right? What do we really want to see on the Banyan Drive Peninsula? And then we look at tax incentives, tax credits. How do we get anchor hotels to come in so that we can put more rooms on Banyan Drive? The conceptual design was doing a stadium or a mixed-use shopping area where the golf course is. So we can have Hilo be like the world-class home of Hula, which it already is. But we can create a stadium purely designed for the Merry Monarch. Anyway, those are different ideas that we've come up with, but we'll see what happens. And a brief interruption to remind you, this is Island Conversations. I'm your host, Sherry Bracken. Today we're talking with State Senator Kai Kahele from Hilo. He is running for U.S. Congress, but in the meantime, he will be in the State Senate this year. Next week... Are you concerned about coronavirus and the flu? Well, we all should be concerned about any infectious disease. And we'll have two doctors, Dr. Peter Locatelli and Dr. Dick Baranian, to help us understand the medical aspects of both coronavirus and flu. And now, a word from our sponsor, KTA Superstores. At KTA, local and fresh means you get the very best Hawaii Island has to offer. The grass-fed meats you find at KTA are raised without added hormones or antibiotics. Our seafood department is stocked with sustainable choices caught in local waters by local fishermen. KTA carries the largest selection of Hawaii Island homegrown produce. Our mountain apple brand is all local so you know it's fresh and delicious. Local and fresh always tastes best at KTA. And as we go back to our conversation with State Senator Kai Kahele running for U.S. Congress, remember that you may hear this and all the previous Island Conversations as podcasts wherever you get podcasts or kwxx.com or b97hawaii.com. One of the big items of controversy on our island right now is Mount Kea, and you've been pretty outspoken in your support of the protesters, the protectors. Some might then believe that you are anti-astronomy, but I heard you in January 2018 talking about how we do have world-class astronomy on Mount Kea. The protesters have been blocking access to the mountain. Right now we're in a moratorium on that, but everybody would like to see a long-term resolution. Where do you see this conflict going? How do you see it getting resolved? What needs to happen? I think we're in a very, very difficult situation right now. This is the Kaho Alave of this generation, clearly. And in order to resolve it, you need leaders that are willing to make tough decisions and are willing to put in an incredible amount of time and effort that should have been done years ago to solve this problem today. And there's a part of me that feels that we've already missed that opportunity. I think we had a window of opportunity two years ago when I attempted to introduce legislation and got the state Senate to take a position on addressing 40 years of mismanagement and all the issues that existed on Mauna Kea at the time. And we weren't able to bring it to fruition. We waited and we waited, and we are in no better position today than we were 
three, four years ago when Governor Ige stopped construction back in 2015. I was at the State of the State. The governor made mention a little bit about TMT. There wasn't anything concrete in what he said. This is solely in the governor's lap. It's in the governor's lap and it's in Mayor Kim's lap on what to do. Ultimately, you got to make tough decisions and then we'll see what he decides to do. Mayor Kim had presented his plan, which kind of mirrors the plan that we had introduced and the state Senate passed two years ago. Would have been nice to get that support two years ago on it. However, I haven't seen anybody introduce a bill or the governor hasn't introduced a bill that mirrors what Mayor Kim has proposed to do legislatively. Should so you be know. introducing that no, bill? No, I introduced it two years ago. So that's the it. The governor done. has to take charge of this situation. I tried. I genuinely tried to address this. I went statewide. I met with hundreds of people, anybody that would listen. I gave my presentation, which was a two-hour, in-depth, ad nauseum presentation of Mauna Kea, to educate people and to look for solutions. I introduced bills. I got that bill to the Senate on a 16-9 vote, and it died in the House. At this point, the governor of the state of Hawaii has to inject himself into coming up with a solution. It's no longer the legislature's role. The astronomy lease expires in 2033, and if it's not renewed, there won't be any astronomy on Mauna Kea. Do you support extending that astronomy lease, renewing it? I think you're looking at it from the wrong way, right? It's not, are we just going to extend the lease? It's what are we going to do and how are we going to address the issues that currently are on the table, not just TMT, but Mauna Kea as a whole, before we can even talk about what a long-term lease would look like. That's, to me, the, the big issue is how we address that, you know, how we come to a consensus or come to a compromise on what the future of Mauna Kea should look like. You know, as somebody who was inspired by Ellison Onizuka when I was a little boy, and Maupi Ailug down in Miloli'i, you know, in 1986, who has flown fighter aircraft for the United States military and who is currently a commercial pilot. I am in a career field that is heavily involved with science and technology and mathematics, and I support astronomy. I support astronomy in Hawaii, but status quo is unacceptable. How we've done things the last 40, 50 years on Mauna Kea, and in many cases throughout the state of Hawaii, is unacceptable. And you're seeing a movement here that you're seeing throughout the country. People are tired. People feel that government is not listening to them, that um, their concerns are not being addressed, and they're standing up for what they believe in. And it's a time that um, we need to come together and figure out what that future looks like. Well, you know, you're planning on going to the United States Congress. Is this an issue, the issue of Mount Kea, something that belongs on the federal level, or is this clearly a state issue? The only aspect where it would include the federal government would be the funding that the telescopes receive through the National Science Foundation or NASA are different federal entities that use Mauna Kea as a means of exploration and technology. So, yeah, I mean, it, I think it, it does come into play. I mean, obviously, the 30-meter telescope, part of its source of funding is from the National Science Foundation. Those are federal funds. One would argue then if a federal environmental impact study is required, which has never been done in regards to the 30-meter telescope. But a portion of TMT is from NSF funding. So we'll see. You mentioned federal funding, and 
I don't know exactly how much federal funding comes into astronomy, but I know that Hawaii County estimates the economic impact of astronomy to be about $170 million statewide, $90 million of that economic impact here on the island with around 600 jobs in astronomy. In addition, there's federal funding that comes to Pohakaloa Training Area, Mm. and PTA is estimated by Hawaii County to have an economic impact of around $74 million a year. So the question is, you would be in the federal government if you win this election. Yeah. So what would your position be on continued federal funding for these two sectors of our economy, both of which really depend on being either on Mount Kea or on the slopes of Mount sure. Kea on the saddle? Both are very important. Both, like you said, are economic drivers in our community. Both have very similar histories where you have leases issued to Pohakolo and Mauna Kea right about the same time in the late 50s and early 1960s. And so the same conversations we're having at Mauna Kea are the same conversations we have to have at Pohakolo. I think Pohakolo's lease expires in 2029. I spent many summers at Pohakolo. My dad worked at Pohakolo for over 35 years. He retired as a director of public works. He had a unique relationship with Pohakolo and Mauna Kea because he would as the public works director, would often walk the water line down Mauna Kea every year to inspect the water line and its source of water for the base. So, you know, my dad spent a lot of time up there on Mauna Kea and Pohakaloa. And and I think we need to, again, have the same conversations we're having with Mauna Kea with Pohakaloa. Pohakaloa is a little different because of its role here in Hawaii and its role in our national defense and our national defense strategy and the training that's done at Pohakaloa. And I definitely think it's a conversation we need to have, and we shouldn't wait to have it. We should start to have those conversations now. You know, a lot of people don't realize that Pohakaloa is a mixture of different land ownerships, right? So the federal government owns a significant part of Pohakaloa that was conveyed in the territory. It was conveyed during wartime. It was conveyed via executive order from different governors. You have lands that they have purchased, and then you also have the state land. They call it the cantonment area, and that's basically the leased land. But issues like um, what came up last year when the judiciary ruled that the DLNR had been absent in its custodial stewardship and management of the leased Pohakaloa land is the lessor. You know, that's something they have to address, right, is the cleanup of munitions, what we're doing with archaeological sites, and how we're addressing all of those things. And I just haven't seen those in-depth conversations happen. Well, I've been up at Pohakaloa several times, and I know that all the commanders all have a focus on protecting the culture and archaeology and the species up there as well. And it sounds like they've done that without assistance or oversight from the state. I admire what they're doing up there, but you're a military guy, and you know how critical Pohakaloa is to the training of the military in the state. It's the largest military base land-wise in the state, and troops come from all over to train here because there really aren't any other places to do it. So it's an interesting conversation to have. It is. And, you know, I've been to Afghanistan many times. And I'd have to say as a pilot and as someone that has operated in those environments at higher altitudes, Pohakaloa is a unique training site that mirrors the altitude and the geography and the climate of areas that we currently serve in overseas. So, you know, an interesting fact that I had learned when I went to tour the base and to observe some of the fire training was 
after a live fire is done, they don't go out to that area to clean up the munitions. They never go out to that area, ever. So whatever has been fired there, however long it's been fired there, that is a prohibited, cannot go because of obviously unexploded ordinance and things like that. But, you know, I would ask the question of how long is that going to be like that? You know, do we plan for it to be like that forever? You know, is that the right thing for us to do? And I think what you're seeing is, you use Koholabe as an example. You know, we did live fire training on Koholabe for years. The federal government gave Koholabe back to the state of Hawaii to be held in trust for the native Hawaiian people should they form an entity in the future and gave $400 million to the cleanup of Koholabe. And today, not even half of Koholabe is cleaned up. There's still half, maybe more than half of the island that you still cannot walk on or go to. And we spent $400 million there. I'd like to know where all that money went and how we're going to clean up the rest of the island. Did the United States Navy just wash their hands of it and say, here's $400 million and you guys got the rest? Because that's, that's not acceptable. I hope I get to go to Koholabe. I haven't gone yet. I have friends who have gone over there to volunteer to clean it up years ago. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. You know, it's an amazing place, what I understand. The Mauna Kea issues have raised concerns about any new business that might want to come and do business in the state. That's something that's been coming up for decades. We need to diversify our economy. We need to get new businesses here. Is that something you think you can address at the federal level, or is that purely a state issue to address? And if you can address it at the federal level, what do you think you might want to do? Obviously, our congressional delegation works very closely with the governor and the leaders at the state legislature and the four counties and their mayors. So there is that relationship to help shape scope and focus and conversation and priorities. I think what you're referring to really falls with the state of Hawaii, the business, economic development and tourism department in the governor's cabinet, the University of Hawaii and what they're doing to create new opportunities largely exists at the state level. Of course, federal funding is a huge source of economic impact for Hawaii in many different shapes and forms. And so that would be something that I would continue to champion and advocate for. Kai Kahele, your dad, Gil Kahele, was very well known in the island, in the state. He was very loved. How did he influence you and what you hope to carry forward to the U.S. Congress? I was born in 1974. That's right about the time when my dad started becoming civically and actively engaged in Hawaii politics and in the Hawaii renaissance that was happening at the time. 76, Hokulea, 78, Kankan, Oha, 1980. And he found his issue back in his home village of Middle East. For myself, at that time, five, six years old, I lived my early childhood through my dad and through his eyes and through the world that he was involved in at that time. My dad would often say, as a former United States Marine, he was a proud American, but also a very proud Hawaiian and was a champion for the little guy who was a voice for the voiceless and was someone who always helped people in need and people throughout his community solve problems. He encouraged me and influenced me in that way at a young age to always give back and to Never be afraid to tackle tough challenges. I think that's defined my short career in the Hawaii State Senate. I touch things and I try to work on things that most politicians wouldn't touch because of the political ramifications. I think that's a unique component of my candidacy and what I bring to this race. I just go back to 
our fishing village of Middle East, where we grew up in and where my dad was raised. And if I can even attempt to fill his shoes or even walk in the footsteps of great Native Hawaiian leaders like Senator Akaka and Prince Kohil, who walked the halls of the Congress in previous times, that'd be one of the greatest things I think I could ever accomplish. And I think my dad would be so happy, would have far exceeded his expectations and uh, would be looking down smiling and be proud. Before you leave the state Senate, assuming you win this race, is there anything you think you can contribute to solving the issues that seem to focus right now around DHHL and OHA, state entities that are supposed to be helping Native Hawaiians most and about which there is incredible controversy about management of funds and management of properties? Well, that's another aspect of my candidacy is potentially only the second Native Hawaiian to serve in Congress since statehood, only the fourth Native Hawaiian in the history of the Hawaiian Islands behind Kuhio, Wilcox, and Akaka. The federal government plays an absolutely critical role in the execution of the Hawaiian Homes Commission Act, in the allocation of federal funding for Native Hawaiians, whether it's Nahasda funds to build homes, the Native Hawaiian Health Care Act. There's so many things that the federal government can do to help the economic impacts of Native Hawaiians throughout the state and to help deal with these issues that have never been addressed since 1893 and the overthrow of the Hawaiian monarchy. And what you're seeing today throughout Hawaii is a resurgence of that and is a educated, it's a generation that is, they're awoken. They grew up in the Punanaleo. They grew up in immersion. They know their history. They know their culture. They're very passionate. They're very inspired. They want to be heard. And so I think having a Native Hawaiian voice in the United States Congress is very, very important to help work with other Native Hawaiian leaders throughout our state and other Native Hawaiian organizations to make sure the Office of Hawaiian Affairs is doing the job that they're supposed to do, to make sure the Department of Hawaiian Homelands and the director and the commission is doing what they're supposed to do, which is build homes and put people on the land and make sure those trusts are working for Native Hawaiian families. State Senator Kai Kahele, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Mahalo. Aloha. And to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us for Island Conversations. I'm Sherry Bracken. Until the next Island Conversations, please, let's all live and drive with aloha. Ahoi ho. Thank you for listening to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, available anytime at kwxx.com. We welcome your feedback and suggestions at info at kwxx.com. Join us next week for another Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken. Brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916.